welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. tonight. Thank for thank you as a congregation, wonderful church for participating. And uh, I, I know I say this often, but I like to keep it at the forefront of our mind. This isn't hype. You know, we get accused as as being overly emotional, but but this is not about hype. We are giving praise to our Lord and our Savior. As Sister Nikki said, he, he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. How can I not praise him? Amen. How can I not praise him? And I do want to remind you, I know it's been said, but we have uh, invested a lot of planning, resources, time into planning the harvest party. And if you can come and bring a friend, we would we would love to have you. It's, it's personally one of my favorite things we do all year partly because I just love this this time of year and this weather. Um, so uh, this Saturday, coming up, our harvest party, and then also Brother Azzalini will be with us for the PM service. Uh, so invite somebody Saturday and invite them to church on Sunday, and we're going to have a wonderful time in the Lord. Amen. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to... Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not, did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. I don't have a very lengthy message this evening, uh, but I do want to preach for a few moments on this subject, change of plans. And I, I want to ask a question that I hope throughout the message tonight we can reflect on. Very simply, does God have permission to change your plans? Why don't we pray? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your house tonight. We're so grateful for what we feel already. Lord, we're thankful for your word, which has all power. It's forever settled in heaven. I pray that it goes forth tonight and not return void, but accomplish 
whatsoever you desire to accomplish in this place. Help us, oh God, not just to be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word also. Help us not just to be stirred in our spirit, to be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said amen. Would you clap your hands unto Jesus one more time tonight? You can be seated in Jesus' name. Now, Elder Lyle, I stumbled across a quote this evening. And it was by former heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. So I figured you'd enjoy this quote. And he was being interviewed a while. It's been a while ago now about a fight that he had coming up. And he was fighting... A gentleman by the name of Evander Holyfield, Brother Howard, and so the interviewer, he's, he's asking him these questions, and he, he's curious to know uh, Mike Tyson's thoughts about his opponent's plans, and, and so uh, Mike Tyson, as only he can, responded in a unique way and said, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. This is what he's saying. We can plan all we want, but sometimes when reality happens, I think it's rather applicable to life if you ask me that quote, because we know sometimes life has a way of just sneaking up and busting us right in the mouth. You know, there's a comfort that we have when we make plans. We feel like we have a sense of control. But what do we do when things don't go according to plan? How do I respond when the plans that I spent hours developing all of a sudden are no longer useful? I think back to when Diane and I were traveling home from our trip this summer. And, you know, we had, man, we had everything planned out, Brother Howard. And we were going to go here and do that. And, and then we were going to come home on this date. And of course, we, we line up to get on the plane and they cancel the flight. And all of a sudden, this wonderful plan that I had went up in smoke. Now, I, I've said this before, but when you get, when a, a flight is canceled in Florida, at least you could drive home. But when there's an ocean separating you from home, you're kind of stuck. So it didn't really matter what my plans were at the moment. And yet sometimes life just has a way of happening. We realize that events and circumstances, we, we may have perfect plans on how we're going to do this and go there. And yet, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do when our plans change? The first question I think is important. It's, did I include God in my plan? See, even when God in flesh was walking this earth, he gives us a template in Matthew 6. He, it's called the Lord's Prayer. And in verse 9 says, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Now notice before he ever gets to, to life's necessities. He prays thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Before he ever addresses daily bread. 
in verse 11. The Rebbe talks about forgiving debts in verse 12. He mentions the will of the Father. But here, here's our problem sometimes. See, we pray this prayer and we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But what we really mean is, Thy kingdom come, my will be done. See, we want our will but His kingdom. We want to do it, things our way but still get His blessing. But the reality is we can't have His kingdom and our will at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist. We either get our kingdom through our will or we get His kingdom through His will. And I don't know about you, but I've discovered building my kingdom always leads to disaster. How many knows that to be true tonight? You know, I think of... Uh, I think in Daniel 2, when Daniel's brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and he's asked to, to not only interpret the dream, but to give the content of the dream. And so in Daniel 2, we find the king, he's, he's searching for a man who's going to give him the contents of his dream and then the interpretation. And Daniel describes this, this dream to the king. He says, there's a large figure, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. But all of a sudden, in verse 34, we see the figure is destroyed by a rock. And I love, let's read the scripture 34 and 35. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. Wait for it. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. A stone that is it's not cut by human hands. A stone with divine origins. A stone that doesn't just dismantle the figure but resides in its place as a great mountain that will fill the earth. And Daniel continues in 37 through 44 and he reminds the king that his kingdom, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is only temporary. Right now you're, you're on top. You rule and you reign in this moment. But one day there's going to come an empire and it's going to replace you. There's going to come a king. He's going to replace you. And then that one will be replaced and so on and so forth. Until a large stone arrives onto the scene. And this stone will unexpectedly change the plans of all the empires of the world. But this stone won't just destroy the empire. It will establish a new empire. An empire or a kingdom that will abide forevermore. Can I just remind the church 
that the stone Daniel is referring to, it's not just any stone. It's not just an abstract meteor somewhere. But it was the stone which the builders rejected. Come on, that stone's name is Jesus Christ. And his kingdom will remain forever and ever, forever I've come to preach to somebody. It doesn't matter what empire comes. They're all going to crumble. But there's coming a stone that's going to wipe out every worldly empire. And the kingdom of God will remain forever. If you believe that, clap your hands unto the stone tonight. Hallelujah. See, what I've found is God doesn't need a, a backup plan. See, in His sovereignty, God already had a plan of redemption before sin entered the world. Before Adam was formed from the dust of the earth, before Eve was taken from the side of Adam, God knew the fall would happen. And yet sin never thwarted God's plan. You might think, well, how can you say that? It's, he creates this garden and all of a sudden sin enters the world. The fellowship is broken. But scripture says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the universe. Which means at the beginning of the cosmos, the plan of God to rescue a lost world was already established. And that's why John could write when he refers to the word in John 1. He calls it the Logos, the word of God, the plan of God. He said, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. There was already a plan with God from the beginning. But here's the good thing about the plan. It wasn't a separate entity. That plan was God. That plan would be God in the flesh one day. Amen. Because we see... He said, the same was in the beginning with the word. All things were made by him. Who made it? God made it. Who made it? The word made it. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I've come to preach to somebody. There's a plan with you your name on it. It's been there from the foundation. It's been there before the world was created. And that plan became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because he wants to spend forever with you and I. That plan from the beginning. That's what I love. It's so, it's it's perplexing and confusing because you think centuries came and went and the plan never came to fruition. I mean, in Genesis, you see, you talk, you see, he's gonna, he's gonna bruise your heel, but you're gonna crush his head. That's talking about the Messiah. That was in Genesis 3. There's a whole lot of time that passed from Genesis 3 to Calvary. And yet, throughout all of history, when God calls Abraham, he said, through you, 
I'm going to bless all nations. When God calls David, he says, through you, there's going to remain somebody that sits on the throne forever. He was prophesying about himself. He had already had a plan in mind. He wasn't scrambling for a contingency. When Israel was rebellious and he had to restore them, he wasn't worried about what was going to come to pass because when his word goes forth, it will not return void. It is forever settled in heaven. His word remains true from the moment he thinks it. From the moment the word goes forth. Man, there is a plan. He's already factored in your mistakes. See, when he operates outside of time and space in a thing we call eternity, he sees the end from the beginning. Which means that when I fall, I'm still called. When I make a mistake, he doesn't say, oh man, I was really, oh man, Tyler, I was really hoping it was going to work out. That's how we view things. He's already factored in my failures, my hang-ups, and yet he still has a plan. That's why I referred to Israel in Romans 11. He said the calling of God is without repentance. It doesn't, when you are called by God, you don't have to beg to come back. That's what the enemy wants you to think. He thinks that you have to come to God as a servant. Oh, God, that prodigal son story. Oh, I'll just come and I'll be a servant. And the dad said, a servant? You've got my name. I wish somebody was happy to have that name tonight. It doesn't matter if you've backslid, if you've abandoned your calling, if you sat on the sideline having a Pentecostal pity party. When you get back up and come home, you're not a servant. You're a son. You're a son of the king, and he's ready to restore to you. And somebody shout, I'm called. See, now, we got to ask ourselves, though, obviously, we got to include God in our, in our planning. But we got to also ask ourselves do we allow room for divine interruptions? And that brings us to Acts 16. Now, give us a little background here tonight. They've just met in Acts 15, what is referred to sometimes as the Jerusalem Council. They have a very important question because we have Jews who were on the day of Pentecost. They received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and everything's fine and wonderful in Jerusalem until they realize the Holy Ghost is not exclusive to the Jews alone but to the Gentiles as well. And so now they're getting people, they're getting people converted they didn't think could be converted, Brother Bobby. People on the other side of the tracks are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so they have a very a, a tough a tough dilemma because they come from the Jewish faith and there's laws and there's observances and, and all this stuff. And so they have a conversation. They meet together as the church and they discuss what will the role of the Jewish law be for Gentile converts. Now I, I I've talked about it in the past, but I, I think it's a I think it's relevant for the day and hour in which we live that we have to understand as Christians, okay, we are not bound by the Jewish ceremonial and dietary laws, okay? So sometimes what happens, we get, 
we want to be in the Word, Brother Bobby. And so we, we dig into the Word. And how many knows we need the Old Testament and the New Testament? Amen? We need them both. But sometimes people read the Old Testament and they're like, oh, I didn't know all this stuff was here. I didn't know I could wear, I couldn't wear fabric that was different from the top and bottom. I didn't know I couldn't have shellfish. I, and so people, they get confused. They want to know what, what part of the Jewish law do we as Christians have to observe? And so Acts 15 answers that. If you have, ever have any questions about that, go to Acts 15 and also go to Galatians. And I think uh, Brother Paul who was there in the first century, irons it out for us. I think he makes it pretty clear, that role. And so Paul has just left this Jerusalem council, and he has developed a plan for his itinerary for his second missionary journey. So his plan is he's going to go from Jerusalem to Asia Minor. And by all accounts, he's probably going to either visit or whatever with the, the churches that John the Apostle will one day address in the book of Revelation. But here's what verse 6 says in our opening passage. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, to me, that's, a, that's an interesting scripture because Paul's going on a missionary journey to preach the word. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with this plan. And yet we find the Holy Spirit forbidding him. And here's a challenge that I've considered this week. Am I in tune enough, Brother Howard? Do I have ears to hear the Spirit forbidding me to go? I mean, think about it for a moment. Paul made godly plans. He was going to preach the gospel. He was going to reach the lost and, and encourage, perhaps encourage existing churches in Asia Minor maybe and fulfill the Great Commission. But what happens when you make godly plans and God says no? Will you pout? Disobey? Will you convince yourself that you must have misheard God because your plan's really good and it will bring glory to His name? See, by all accounts, Paul was directly in God's will, right? No one would have thought that Paul was doing anything wrong by following his original set of plans. But had he gone to Asia, he would have been in direct opposition to the will of God. And I just wonder how often we justify our disobedience in the name of godly planning. How often do we refuse to pray about a plan because in the back of our minds we think, this isn't just a good plan. It's a godly plan. And yet, as Brother Howard reminded us last week, it's possible that we have ears, but we don't hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I don't ever want to fool myself into believing that my disobedience is excused because I have the right intentions. Right intentions do not nullify wrong actions. It's entirely possible, church, to be sincerely 
wrong. And of course, we, you know, we can't speculate as to why he was forbidden to go. But we do know that Paul would eventually write a letter to the Galatians, and he only ended up in Galatia when the Spirit first said, No, don't go there. In verse 7 it says, When they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, this is round two. Paul pivots away from his original plan. And he decides, you know what, that's fine, Lord. I hear what you're saying. I'm just going to head north to Bithynia. We're going to have some Bithynian revival. And lo and behold, the Spirit of Jesus does it again. Now put yourself in Paul's shoes. We, we like to make these guys superheroes. They're just people. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Lord... All right, this is starting to get a little ridiculous. I keep making these plans for you, and you keep getting in my way. Sounds like a justifiable complaint. All you spiritual people out here can shake your head at me, but that's what you'd say too. Jesus, I'm doing this for you. And here we go again. I got to go tell the group, Jesus said we can't go. Imagine being on that missions trip, sitting around the fire, freezing, <laughs> trying to avoid thieves and battling starvation, your stomach's growling, all of a sudden, Paul comes up, well, fellas, change of plans, Jesus said not to go there. Are you kidding me? How about we go back to Jerusalem till you and Jesus get on the same page? That's what I'd say. Verse 8. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now we don't know how much time passed from when the plans changed to when Paul had the vision. But here's what we do know. Paul's sensitivity to the Spirit positioned him for a Macedonian revival. Had Paul allowed impatience to impact his itinerary, he would have missed incredible opportunities for ministry. We see it in, in verse 14. One who was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Hey, Paul, Lydia needs you to be sensitive to the Spirit. Hey, Paul, there's a Lydia hoping you'll allow God to change your plans. There's a Lydia in your neighborhood, Paul, that needs you to let God say no to your schedule. Hey, Paul, there's a Lydia that loves God at your work, but she needs greater truth. It's the truth that you possess, Paul. Will you allow a wrinkle in your schedule to reach a hungry soul? And here in verse 15, it gets a little more serious. We find, and after she was baptized, and her whole household as well. See, Lydia has a family, Paul. After she was baptized, 
her family was baptized. What would revival look like in the 21st century? What would it look like in Middletown if we rerouted our plans to reach Lydia? How many more families would experience the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost if we lived with the sensitivity of Paul and God and said, God, order my steps today. Wreck my schedule if you have to. Cancel this. Move that. Do whatever you need to do as long as I reach Lydia and her family. How many wants that tonight? How many wants to reach the Lord? Verse 19, I'm hurrying tonight, but when her owner saw that her hope was of gain was gone, Paul had just rebuked a demon. This girl was harassing Paul and Silas. He turns around, rebukes her, and the people were making money after her acting a fool. And so, verse 19, when her owner saw that their hope of their gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said... These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods when they had inflicted many blows upon them. Somebody say many blows. They threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. It's all fun and games as a missionary till you get beaten and put in jail. It's not fun no more. See, Paul and Silas, they allowed God to interrupt their schedule and change their plans. But what happens when his plans put you in prison? To me, I, me personally, I'm willing to go reach Lydia. We, we want to go give Lydia and her family a home Bible study? By all means, let's go. But, but beat me? You want, you want to lock me up, throw away the key? I, you know, that's a different story. I, I think we'd all be comfortable with God changing our plans so long as he can keep us safe and free. And yet Paul and Silas, they didn't allow their current predicament to force them to lose trust in the plan of God. And that's why in verse 25 we find about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, it was his responsibility, Brother Howard. And he saw that the doors were open. He was going to draw his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners escaped. And Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Now, I don't don't have time to get into the nitty-gritty of that passage, but... It does give us a pattern for how to handle God's plan even when the plan puts you in prison. See, that to, to me, that's an apostolic response. Paul understood that Paul and Silas, they understood that their position 
in the prison was actually positioning them for God's purpose. I mean, think about that. They were in a prison at midnight. But their praise indicates that they did not believe that they were in prison by accident. They understood that the, the prison served a divine purpose. See, how would our outlook change if we said, God, I don't love where I'm at right now, but I trust you enough to praise you in the midnight hour. When it's dark, when it's lonely, when I feel the weight and the chains of my circumstance. I'm still going to lift my hands and praise you. Even when I hear the chains rattle over my hands. I'm still going to shout with the voice of victory. It might be midnight and I might be in prison. But I know at the end of the day, the prison is all according to your plan. And if I can praise you in the prison. If I can keep praising in the midst of my darkness. If I can praise when I don't have all the answers. If I can praise when my heart's broke. If I can praise when I've been betrayed. I know I'm coming out the other side. And prison doors are going to start to open. Is there anybody thankful tonight to know that there's power in your praise? Clap your hands if you believe that across this place. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Be mindful how you respond to your situation, because others are listening. And suddenly, somebody shout in suddenly, the foundations of the prison began to shake. And the doors opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Don't ever underestimate the power of your praise in the prison. The prison can make or break you. If you allow it to ruin your attitude, the prison will force you to become silent and complacent. You start pouting and thinking, God, why me? Why did I end up that way? Why did they put me here? I don't deserve it. But if you can praise him still in the prison... There's no telling who might get delivered in your presence. Come on, there's no telling what chains of addiction might fall off. I wish somebody could let that penetrate their heart. God's plan might involve a prison, but if you can praise him in that prison, you will encounter God that will set your neighbor free. See, that's why when we come to church, we got to praise regardless of how we feel. We're not just juking and jiving to burn calories, Brother May. We know he inhabits the praises of his people. So when I walk through those doors, first and foremost, when I walk through those doors, I praise him for who he is. Because I know he's already done enough. I mean, think about the, the posture of, of just arrogance on our part when we walk through the doors of the church and think that God owes us something. 
we praise him for who he is. Because we know if he never does another thing, he's already done more than enough. He's already done more than I deserve. We believe that tonight? But we also praise because of those around us. Because the truth is, I don't know what you're facing. And you might walk in here bound with depression. You've got chains of anxiety and fear. Maybe you're in the darkness of sickness. You're so discouraged that it's tough to even get out of bed. And when you walk through the doors, the chains are pretty heavy. And so to praise God, it, it just takes a little bit more. But if my praise can help you, if I can say, God, I, I feel pretty good. I don't really need a miracle right now. I could always use one. I don't need one right now. But I don't know what my neighbor needs. I don't know who walked in here facing divorce. I don't know who walked in here facing bankruptcy. I don't know who walked in here with a doctor's report they ain't told nobody about yet. I don't know who walked in here thinking, God, if you don't change this, I'm fixing it in my life. But if my praise can get lifted in the midst of the prison, all of a sudden your chain. What you're bound with, what you're struggling with, you start to feel a weight lifted and you realize my prison doors have been opened too. So I'll dance, I'll shout, I'll lift my hands, I'll sing because my praise is powerful enough for you to get delivered. Come on, clap your hands if you're thankful to know that tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to close if you'll stand with me. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. I felt this today. I didn't add it, but I'm going to speak it now. There are people that are responsible for your wounds that God wants you to allow them to heal them. I mean, think about it. The last time that person was close to you, they hurt you. And now they're coming close again. And what's our response? I'm okay. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget it. Right? But Paul said, he's had an encounter with Jesus. And so I'm going to trust the plan enough to let the person responsible for hurting me heal me. Some of you will walk around with wounds for the rest of your life in your spirit because you don't have the humility to let the person who hurt you heal you. I feel that tonight in the Holy Ghost. It's hard. Saying it's easy, but you have to say, God, if you can forgive me, I can forgive them. And who knows what will happen when you extend that forgiveness? Because scripture says it was through Paul and Silas letting the one who was responsible for imprisoning them, or at least guarding them, 
heal them. That person was able to experience the gospel of Jesus. That person found salvation. How many people in our life are waiting for us to say, I trust you enough to come close again. And in the midst of that closeness, God is not just going to restore that relationship. He's going to allow them to experience fresh revelation in Jesus. Verse 34, then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along in his entire household that he had believed in God. See, Paul ended up in prison because God changed his plans. But even in the prison, Paul understood. I don't understand everything right now, but I do understand God's plan is greater than my plan. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. easier had he stuck to his original plan. He probably would have avoided those beatings. He probably would have never ended up in a Philippian jail had he stuck to his original plan. But because he listened to the voice of the Lord, the right voice, and he allowed God to change his plans, he reached Lydia and her family the jailer and his family I've come tonight I'm going to open up these altars and I want to challenge us in the Holy Ghost to ask ourselves this question God will I allow you to change my plans I've got a lot of plans for the future I've got a lot of direction and ambition that I want to go but at the end of the day I want to walk in a perfect alignment with your will perfect alignment with your plan even if it sends me to prison even if it puts me in a dark place God will you change my plans for your glory these altars are open tonight if you'd like to come I want to welcome everybody who wants to ask ourselves that question God will you change my plans for your glory come on there's a Lydia waiting on you tonight to be sensitive to the voice of God the tug of the Holy Ghost on your heart, but please let me urge you to reconsider. Come on, open up your heart to the plan of God. Open up your, make yourself vulnerable before the Lord. Come on, let those who have hurt you heal you. Let those who have betrayed you come close once more. And in that process, they will experience greater revelation in Jesus. All across this place, let's make it a place of prayer tonight.